0: Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster, Dean Linke, uniting coaches at every level of the game, around the love of the game. We are United Soccer Coaches. Now, here's our host, Dean Linke. I am Dean Linke, delighted to be with
1: you, and of course, delighted that the Women's Division One College Soccer season kicks off today. Can you believe it? And to set the stage, we're pleased to be joined by Rob Kehoe, the Director of College Programs for United. United soccer coaches. He will set the stage for college soccer, especially women's college soccer. Can't wait for that. He will mention that the Duke Blue Devils in women's college soccer are number three in the country. Part of the reason is because they've got a fantastic coach and Robbie Church. He has led the Duke Blue Devils to the 2015 and 17 Women's College Cup, and he has Duke primed and ready to go again. They take on the Buckeyes tonight. Robbie Church will join me, and then also remember the United Soccer Coaches preseason rankings for D1, D2, D3 are out. Last year, Central Missouri, the Jennies, won their first national championship for D2 women. Lewis Theobald for. Central Missouri will also join me. A big show. It starts with Rob Kehoe after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap.
0: Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With Team Snap, it doesn't have to. They help customers save their time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to teamsnap.com united. I
1: am Dean Linky, and it is here. The start of the college soccer season, and as promised, my good friend and longtime director of college programs for the United Soccer Coaches, Rob Kehoe, joins us to kick off this week's show. Rob, great to be back with you, and certainly a great part of the year.
2: Always exciting. You know, it's interesting, Dean, college soccer season ends in December as far as competition, but the business of college soccer never ends, as we're working on that throughout the year, and so... We're at the beginning of competition, but since last year's competition and the beginning of this year's, much has gone on uh, in college soccer relating to some significant rules.
1: Yeah, and you've been busy with that, particularly dealing with transfers and recruiting and other issues. You've got the floor. Get us up to date on everything you've been doing with the NCAA.
2: Well, first of all, let's uh, talk about recruiting rules. One of the initiatives that the NCAA has, and when I speak of the NCAA, that's member institutions and conferences that make decisions on intercollegiate athletics and how to make the athletic experience the best for the student athletes and one of the concerns that has emerged over many years has been what is the term is early recruiting and really it's more early commitments that prospective student athletes high school players have been making And so, in the interest of trying to make sure that prospective student-athletes are making educated and mature decisions, some rule changes have been implemented to try to enhance that relationship of the college's coaches, the players, their families, so that the kids are making good picks for their schools, and specifically, uh what was approved by the Division One Board of Directors in April of this year was to change unofficial visits and official visits for prospective student-athletes to September 1st of the junior year. Now, from the unofficial visit standpoint, this is actually moving that date back because there was really no date set for... Unofficial visits. Kids could come in eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade, uh, whenever they wanted, and they could visit with athletic department staff. Eighth graders weren't considered prospective student athletes because the definition of a prospective student athlete is ninth grade, player that has uh, entered ninth grade. But again, they could, students prior to their junior year previously, could make unofficial visits. They could meet with athletic staff, including the soccer coaches, and they could talk about their future. Well, in order to try to minimize that, because kids out of those unofficial visits were making what is called the verbal commitment, uh, and it was felt better that they'd take more time, that they at least have four semesters of grades in, that... They're going into their junior year, and they're they're better prepared and more educated to be able to make those decisions. So first unofficial visits to be able to meet with athletic personnel would be September 1 of junior year. And that, uh, I mean, kids could come on campus and meet with other people. This couldn't do it with the coaches or other athletic staff. Official visits have been for the senior years where teams could invite prospective student-athletes on campuses, pay for their visits, and those would start in the senior year. That was now moved forward to the junior year. So now coaches are lining up their prospective student-athletes, candidates that they're considering for possible invitations to be on their team, and they can start September 1st this year, bringing them on campus at the uh, cost of the schools to be able to show them the campus see their games, interact with their teams, and have their conversations about the possibility of matriculating to that specific school. So those are two uh, significant uh, rule changes. Another one that relates to September 1st also is if a student is in a a camp or clinic on a campus, junior year September 1st is the first time that they can talk about recruiting conversations with those players. Now, relating to uh, recruiting also, there are other aspects of when can you make phone calls, when can you make uh, verbal offers or offers of financial aid. Those are all being discussed, so there will be more rules that will be implemented probably in the next legislative cycle, which is the 2018-19 season that will add on to some of the other features of recruiting.
1: And obviously, we uh, mentioned transfers as well. What's going on with that?
2: Well, one of the phenomenons that has increased uh, in college athletics is students who are at one school and decide either it's not working out for me or I may have a better opportunity uh, to get visibility at another school than uh, players are transferring. And prior to now, when there's been a new rule implemented, before a player transferred, they would have to get a release from their current school. So for instance, if a a player at school A wanted to consider transferring to school B, or just they wanted to consider transferring away from school B or school A, they'd have to get a release from their school to be able to talk with others. In the interest of student athletes having more leverage in making their decisions, now the student athletes can put their name in what's called a recruit or a transfer database or a transfer uh, portal, basically that announces that they have the not- This is a notification of transfer. That they want to transfer. It. They don't have to discuss it with their coaches or their athletic administration. Uh, They can just put their name on the portal. Now, it has to be put on the portal by their school, but it's not something where they have to discuss with their school and their school has to give them a release. So, in a sense, it's somewhat of a a form of free agency. It's now I can go out and and test the waters and see who else uh, or what other opportunities might be available to me. Now, coaches cannot contact a player, nor can and what I mean by that is a college coach can't contact a player who they think might be interested in transferring. They would not be allowed to do that until that name is on the notification of transfer database. And then it's open season in terms of being able to communicate. A club coach can also talk with the college coach say hey I've got somebody who's interested in transferring would you be interested in them none of that can happen until a student athlete puts their name on this notification of transfer database so it's going to be a, a shift um, and then the players would be able to play immediately if they transfer they wouldn't have to sit out but it puts more power in the hands of the student athletes which uh, raises concerns in terms of what might be going on behind the scenes in terms of kind of nav- navigating the waters of interest and all. Uh, the other thing that actually United Soccer Coaches, we're going to be doing it this week actually, is conducting a survey uh, because of the concerns of tampering, is if college coaches are in a situation where they're recruiting players who aren't on the notification of transfer database that is a a serious violation and so we're asking some questions in terms of scenarios that you know you might see happening relating to conversations relating to transfer and dealing with how do you deal with the violations for that in in the tampering area so that's a fresh conversation going on right now and again trying to uh Again, make it best situations for student-athletes who want to transfer, but also doing it without compromising in other areas of the integrity of intercollegiate athletics, etc. So it's a continuing ongoing process for both the prospective student-athletes and the current student student-athletes and their teams.
1: Just for a little bit of journalistic integrity, since uh, we have talked quite a bit about this issue over the last couple of years, the notion of trying to go to a full academic year, soccer season, if uh, you can give me a Cliff Notes version on where that stands, Rob, before we get into the start of this college season, I think that would be appropriate.
2: Well, uh, that pertains specifically to the Division One men, and they have been seeking this really pretty aggressively for five years uh, still has not gotten it to a proposal form and a school or a conference or conferences has to sponsor a proposal before it gets into the legislative cycle to be voted on and that hasn't happened yet um, the relating to that both the ACC and the Big Ten have had conversations within their athletic administration and there is Uh, majority support for the concept, but they have not reached their threshold in terms of their conference bylaws as to what level of support needs to be arrived at in order to be able to sponsor the legislation. So it's still in conversations with those conferences and others. Uh, We look forward uh, this year to having more work with the Sports Science Institute of the NCAA, as well as the Competition Safeguards Medical Aspects of Sports Committees relating to the health and safety issues regarding soccer, as this may provide more support information uh, that would be very valuable in terms of trying to uh, get support to the sponsorship level of proposal so that it could get into the next legislative cycle. So nothing will be decided this year, but there's still work going forward on it. The division one women also have a proposal that uh, is being worked on to try to expand their season within the fall so that there's more space between games to de- decompress that schedule in order to provide more relief uh, for rest and recovery, also to try to minimize missed class times and so we're continuing to work on that as well. Division 2 and Division 3 also have some initiatives uh, that are relating to season expansion or more competitions in the spring and all of these are work we continue to work on and this is going to be a, a big year in the political arena uh, relating to college soccer to try to achieve some of the goals that the different divisions have to try to provide more either training, acclimatization in preseason, or competition opportunities, or rest and recovery between games, just again, to make the quality of soccer better, the better experience for the college soccer player and improve the, the quality of the games and, and uh, the championships.
1: As always, phenomenal update here with Rob Keel, Director of College Programs for the United Soccer Coaches, and as we said at the start, the start of the college season is here, Rob, and it's a great time of the year. What are you
2: most excited about? Well, we've, we already have the preseason polls out for all of the divisions. We have the Herman watch lists out, which those are basically the signals that the uh, the call for the uh, start of the games is right on top of us and now this Thursday will the college season opens with Division one women playing and so now we'll go from what I would consider speculation in preseason rankings to now we'll see what the teams actually have when the competition starts. So it's an exciting time uh, of the season I mean we, as we look at the, Division One women's season and we have still Stanford last year's national champion sitting on top of the rankings followed by the runner-up last year UCLA and then Duke was also in the final four there at third in the national preseason ranking South Carolina was the fourth team in the college cup they're sitting at five with Penn State uh, at four North Carolina typically always there in the top five top 10 is at six florida is at seven virginia at eight west virginia at nine and florida state 10 and there is no surprise in that although we will begin to see because some of those teams are going to begin to play each other and we're going to see exactly what's going to shape out in what I call the test of heart mind and body when you get inside the lines of competition uh to see who comes out with favorable outcomes
1: now, my favorite question to ask you anytime you join us, either before the college season starts or during the college season, is, of course, uh, the Learjet, Rob Kehoe style. And that is, if you had a Learjet and you could get to five or six games to start the season here with women's college soccer beginning today, in fact, the day of this release of the podcast, Thursday, where would you go, Rob?
2: Well, I'd, I'd come down to you, Dean. <laughs> I'd come to the research triangle because – North Carolina plays Illinois, and Duke plays Ohio State. So we have an ACC Big Ten challenge going on there. And then I'd also like to uh, get on right after that and get to Florida, to see Florida State and Vanderbilt. That's ACC-SEC. So that would be Thursday, Friday. I'd uh, stay in Florida and watch Florida-Washington. And we have then SEC Pac-12 and then get up to Penn State to watch Penn State, West Virginia, in the mountains uh, there. So that would be Friday, Sunday. It would be Bedlam in Stillwater, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma. So that's a pretty good weekend seeing that. You know, it's interesting about Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. They open the season. They're in the same conference. So they play each other again in conference play as well, which is pretty unique in in college soccer to have something like that because – Other than the conferences, uh, that some conferences have around Robin, like the, uh, Pac 12 on the men's side, they played each other twice because they have six teams in the conference. But Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, they don't have to do that, but they do it. So you got double bedlam there. And then there's really another exciting game that I wouldn't, I would really like to see Monday, and that would be in California where Cal and Santa Clara play. And then coming up, uh, in the next couple weeks, a game that is always fantastic is South Carolina-Clemson. And Clemson will go into the graveyard in, in Columbia and play South Carolina. And that would be a very exciting event because that usually gets five, 6,000 people there. And then on August 30th, I would like to be in Provo, Utah. And you and I remember the night we were there when we went and had the uh, BYU-Portland game that we did on the Fox Soccer Channel. And this time it would be Stanford going to BYU. Mm. And the national champion going into BYU, I would anticipate they'll have 6,000 there for that night under the mountains. Uh, and that should be a fantastic game. And so we've got that type of games. Uh, coming up. So that's that's my early season, my 10-day t- tour that I'd like to be on.
1: Well, I would include you. We won't take a Learjet, but I'm going to do something unique, Rob, that uh, certainly it won't surprise you knowing how much I like calling college soccer. On this Thursday, I'll be doing play-by-play for the UNC versus Illinois game, and then as soon as it's over, I'm going to drop my headset, head six miles down the road, and do color for the Duke-Ohio State game on the same day, joining uh, that game in Progress for about five minutes. So pulling the double, pretty excited about that actually. That'll be pretty neat.
2: Well, that's no surprise to me that you'll get out of one stadium quickly and get (laughs) to the next one. Uh, I would be a little concerned if I were Robbie Church and and, uh, the Duke fans with Ohio State with that big O in your driveway Uh uh, in terms of some homerism on the color. But I know you're too professional to have that happen, but it will be a great weekend for you to have those teams going at it in the research triangle.
1: Yes, indeed, I can't wait. I will be doing color, as I said, for that Duke Ohio State game. Robbie Church, jeez, what a job he's done, both in his career and the last several years for the Duke Blue Devils, making it to the 2015 and last year's college cup. He's back at it again. Robbie Church, head coach of the Duke women's soccer team, joins me next. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Dean Linke here, pleased to be joined by the very successful top man of the Duke women's soccer team. They start the preseason rankings ranked number three, talking about the very likable Robbie Church. Robbie, thanks for being on the program.
3: Well, thanks, Dean. Always
1: great to be with you. Of course, Robbie Church, a little background here. He's your reigning ACC Coach of the Year, entering his 18th season in Durham with a 219, 118, and 46 record. He's won 52 matches over the last three seasons, guiding the Blue Devils to NCAA College Cup appearances in two of the last three years. One final note, the Duke women's soccer leader looks to continue the success Duke has had over the past 15 years with 202 wins, 14 tournament appearances in the NCAA and three trips to the College Cup as we mentioned two of the last three years including last year Then he was also there in 2011 Robbie the success you know particularly in the last few years has been off the charts for Duke women's soccer's it got to make the start of this season pretty exciting for you
3: yeah, no question. Um, it, it, it always is. This time of year, it's, it's the favorite time of the year, obviously, for college coaches. We don't do enough coaching. Our time is, is short uh, in there, but uh, we really, really look forward to this. And, you know, it, it has been a great three years. And a lot of that really goes to, obviously, the players that we've had. We've had just wonderful young ladies. They've been great on the field, great in the classroom. Uh, and But we have such a great coaching staff, too. Our coaching staff is what I think is the best in the country. Um, with with Irwin Van Bennecom and Carla Overbeck and Lane Davis. Um, they've just done a great, great job the last three years. So all of us together, we look forward to moving into this season.
1: All right, we're going to do that, but we're going to just get one more nugget on last year because I want people to remember all of the records you broke last year, 13 in fact. You amassed a program record, 23 wins. You went undefeated in conference play. Are you kidding me? En route to claiming (laughs) the ACC regular season championship. So just one more reflection, particularly just on last year's team,
3: undefeated, Robbie, in ACC? Right. No, you know, Dean, that's really special. No question. Been been around this for a long time, been in the ACC area for a long time, growing up in Greensboro and then been in Durham for for so long uh, and, you know, have uh, unbelievable respect for this league and the coaches and the players and everybody who's been through this league. And, and to go through, I mean, I'd be, I would be lying to if I didn't say to go through the league and be undefeated, uh, it was really, really special uh, last year. But, uh, but again, you know, like I said earlier, it's, it's a lot of the credit goes to the players. You know, where we have six players drafted in the draft last year. Uh, a lot of them play, continue to play, too. Our coaching staff uh, just did a great job. So it was, it was a really special year for us.
1: All right, so here we go. Thursday night, I'll actually join Ryan Craig in the booth. The Ohio State Buckeyes are in town. Of course, they won the Big Ten regular season last year, and then Janet Rayfield's a Lion Eye on Sunday. So you start the season with the Carolina Nike tournament, two pretty good Big Ten teams.
3: Yeah, two great Big Ten teams. Uh, you know, uh, both great coaches, both legends. Um, you know, at their universities, been there a number of years. Been NCAA tournaments. You know, Final Fours with them too. You know, but it's what it's what we like to start off uh, early in the year. We want to find out. You know, what's our strengths, what's our weaknesses, and you know, playing teams like Ohio State on Thursday night, who I think is going to be one of the best teams that we play all year long, will definitely tell us that early too. And especially with our group this year, where. Different, we're a little bit different, a little bit younger this year, and you know, inexperienced somewhat, um, but but it's exciting to come out and you know that's one of the things that we really do in our program. We like to challenge ourselves. We obviously we challenge ourselves in the ACC every week, um, but the first four weekends when we have a chance to play the out of conference games, you know, we like to play really really good teams because you know we it really gets us ready for the ACC. It shows us our strengths and it shows us our weaknesses. So. Uh, uh, but all that fun stuff starts on Thursday. All
1: right. You mentioned six players drafted. Talk about what we'll see. Will we see some players that have been waiting there, you know, patiently to get in there, or will we see some youngsters, some freshmen?
3: Yeah, no question. I think you'll see a combination of both. Dean. Um we will have some sophomores, and our freshman class really didn't play a lot last year. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately for them, they came in with such an experienced group. We had a number of four-year starters, a uh, number of potential pro, you know pro players, and just girls that were you know interested in our program. And and they really didn't get a lot, but they they got a lot of work um, in the springtime. Played against some really good competition in the springtime. Uh, we got better. All spring, as, uh, as we went forward and finished up on some really strong notes with playing the Carolina Courage and Elon at the end. Um, you know, and we do have some freshmen that we feel um, that have just done a great job. I think they've had a really great preseason. Um, you know, the positions are there and they've done a good job of stepping into the positions. So uh, I think we'll see a combination of those. We still do have a number, you know, Taylor McCoys, you know, Taylor Rasbiopis, the Ellis uh, Stevens uh Carly and Taylor mitchell and our back area too so in chelsea Burns so we have some veterans that do return that have played a lot of minutes but got a, a lot of new players that uh we're excited to for their opportunity to step out in the field
1: all right you've been right in the middle of you know really the highest of highs of women's college soccer but with you on the floor right now talk about uh where you think the state of women's college soccer is because from wh- where I look it looks amazing.
3: Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, I, I think it's kind of, you know, we've seen the, the evolution of women's soccer uh, over the years, and especially if you're sitting in the state of North Carolina, you look at it and you see just all kinds of programs and development of the programs, development in the ACC, development of programs on a national level. I think it's as competitive as, it, as it's ever been. Um, just, you know, again, obviously looking at our conference, looking, you know, 1 through 14, every time you step on the field, Um, You know, you can get beat. You have to be ready to play. You've got to be prepared. And it used not to be like that. There was always, you know, there was four or five teams that could win a national championship. And uh, now as you look over the landscape of uh, of women's college soccer, there's much more than that. I would say there's, you know, 20, there's probably 15 to 20 that, that can be in the conversation for national championships. So I think that growth is fantastic for the sport. I think it's fantastic for the young ladies, the opportunities they have. You know, I think it just women's soccer, and we talk to our players a lot about this. You know, this is kind of the golden era of women's soccer the options that they have in college and the options that they have outside of college, too.
1: Well, and, and one of those options is NWSL. You talked about the number right. of Blue Devils that have been drafted. And, boy, I, I don't know if you saw the championship game of the International Champions Cup, but Morgan Reed, I mean, if yep. there were more valuable eight minutes in an eight-minute, I don't know if I've seen it. I mean, she was incredible. Paul Riley said yep. the same thing. I mean, they're, they're going to meet yep. the governor tomorrow, Robbie, winning the no, ICC no. And, and the Shield. I mean, you got to be super proud. And then also, uh, not just of those players, but of the league and what it means for women is college soccer.
3: Oh, no question. I mean, it it is just – it's obviously very, very important for the college game that the women's game, you know, continues to grow and continues to offer these opportunities for these young ladies. And, you know, really talking about individual player in Morgan, you know, I'm just so proud of her. It's been hard for her. It's it's not easy in this league. She's uh, been on some of the reserve teams, and she's worked her butt off, and she's gotten better and better and better. And then, obviously, with the Carolina Courage team is so strong and so – what's such a fun team. To watch, Dean. I know you've called them all year. You've had a great seat all year to uh, to see, but they're they're fantastic to watch. And, uh, and you know, we've been out a lot of the games. Our staff has our players have been out. We um, we actually had um, the game with Portland. We took our whole team out in the middle of preseason. Um, so it's just it's great to have. It gets the young lady something to strive for. Okay, there's an option uh, after you finish college to be able to play on on a bigger stage. And uh, I just think that is is. Uh, it is such a great opportunity for them
1: speaking of that big stage only a couple more questions you're actually going to join me in the booth i'm so excited saturday <laughs> september 8th it's an open day for you because you have nebraska a couple days before old dominion the right. next day so you'll get all your work done there and then you'll be in the booth for the courage versus houston doing color robbie i'm looking forward to that tell me you are
3: I, I'm, no question. I'm looking forward to working with the pro. And that's you. Uh hopefully they'll they'll let me stay the whole ninety minutes and somebody won't come pull me out of the booth after thirty minutes uh being there. But no, I, I'm looking forward. That's a new experience, something I've never uh done before. So it you know, it will be it will be a challenge, but uh it will be great being with you and, and, and working with you and just uh, you know, just to be part of the courage uh uh,
1: telecast. Well, and that's the thing because it, it, it seems like a challenge, but I'm telling you, the soccer is so great. Like you said, you've been out there that it's really not because you just get so yep. caught up in yep. the team, particularly what Paul Riley has done. I think Paul Riley might be one of the best coaches, men or women, in the country.
3: Oh, um, you're preaching the choir there, Dean. Uh, I'm a big Paul Riley fan. I've known Paul forever. We've had, you know, a, a lot of his players, starting with Rebecca Moros, um, Ray right. Haller, Lorraine Quinn, uh, have come down and been part of our program, and and, and a couple more, too. Uh, so Paul has been a big supporter of our program. Uh, you know you know when you get a Paul Riley coach player that they're going to be hard-nosed, they're going to work hard, they're technically and tactically going to be very, very, good Um, so I'm I'm just thrilled for for Paul um, over these last couple of years to see what he's been able to do with the backing of the organization of the courage and you know I I think they're the best women's soccer team in in the world uh, right now they're playing on a very very high level
1: Uh, I love that you said that because I try to say that every broadcast. All right, finally, last question. As you start tonight, actually, this is going to be released on Thursday against the Ohio State Buckeyes. What's got to go right to do something that uh, not too many teams can do, and that is get back to another college cup for the Duke Blue Devils?
3: Well, you know, I think we we obviously have a long ways to go um, to get there, but I I love our team. Uh, I love how they've been training. I love how they're getting better every training session and, and during the week. I love what our staff is doing with them and how they're making them better. So I think for us, it's just continue to grow. I mean, it's going to be a, it's going to be a growing process during the season. We've got to continue to stay focused on what we believe in, and we've got to continue to, to work hard for our principals um, because I think we've put together a, a good blueprint for them, but we, just, we have to make sure that we, that we just continue to get better and get more experience and, and with our players. But, um, but I, like our, I like our group. I think that we, you know, during the course of the year, I think we will get better. And I think by the time we get to, you know, different parts of the year, probably towards the end of the year, that we're going we're gonna to be a very, very good team. Um, so, um, you know, looking forward, I'm really looking forward to kind of growth of this season. The last three seasons, it's been great. But we kind of know, you know, who we were, you know, and, and what, what our potential was. This year, we're not—we're still figuring that out. We're still trying to to learn, you know, where the right pieces go, and that—that's that's been fun for us. And who fits in here, and you know, who's gonna who's gonna do this for us, and what's the strength of those players and weaknesses of those players. So, and it may take a few matches, especially, to be able to figure that out when we get a video and be able to break things down.
1: Going to get an up-close look tonight. It's Duke and Ohio State, 7 p.m. You can catch the game on ACC Network Extra. Robbie Church, what a job he's done. as the top man for the Duke women's soccer team. Thanks for being a part of the United Soccer Coaches podcast, Coach, and good luck tonight. Good
3: luck the entire season. Thanks, team. Appreciate it. Always appreciate you having me on.
1: Okay, can't wait to see his team tonight against the Ohio State Buckeyes. The Division II women's rankings are out. Central Missouri, the Jennies, number one. your are rainy champs Louis Theobald is their head coach and he joins me next.
0: United Soccer Coaches provides programs and services that enhance, encourage, and contribute to the development and recognition of soccer coaches, their players, and the game we love. Join today. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join. Now here's our host Dean Linke.
1: Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. As we told you, the preseason rankings are out. The college soccer season starts this week. Last week, we talked to the Division One reigning champion on the women's side, Paul Ratcliffe, with the Stanford Cardinal. Well, number one. In Division II women's soccer, same deal—you win it the year before, you start the year number one. Talking about the University of Central Missouri, the Jennies, and 12th-year head coach Lewis Theobald has transformed the Jennies soccer program into one of the premier programs, not only in the MIAA but in all of NCAA Division II. The nine-time MIAA and five-time Region Coach of the Year enters the 2018 season with an impressive 198-27-18 record out of the world. He recorded more wins in his first three seasons than any other coach in school history and is the all-time winningest coach in Jenny's soccer history. He brought home the program's first ever national championship a year ago. One more note. Theobald enters this season as the winningest active coach in Division Two women's soccer with an 8.52 winning percentage among coaches with at least three years on the sidelines, and I'm guessing all of that does not mean quite as much as what happened last year. I know now you're focused on 2018, Lewis, but as the number one team, you still got to reflect on winning that Natty,
4: right? Uh, we do, yeah. It's um... You know, it's a great memory, obviously, and uh, we got some stuff up uh, here at school, and it's a new tradition, a new level for us, uh, first time ever, so I think it's good to embrace it and, um, you know, as as a new expectation for our program.
1: Now, will there be or has there been like a ring ceremony as well? Did you do something for the players that were part of that team?
4: Yeah, we've done a lot. Uh, we've done a lot of visits. We have not done our ring ceremony. We're going to do that uh, this fall and have everyone back for that. Um, but we've we've done a lot of different events and uh, a lot of stuff within the community to rally around the team and uh, did stuff with the Missouri uh, you know, State Legislature and, and things like that. So we've done a lot of traveling and seeing people and talking about it. Kind of ready to move on in that regard and and get going with this year's team.
1: All right. Obviously, Division One starts this week. Your season officially kicks off on August 30th. But you know, one more question related to the national championship: How do you address it with your team as you approach preseason and getting ready for this season?
4: Yeah, that's really hard because you know we lost uh, six starters off last year's team and then two more coming out our first subs off the bench and so it's a new team. You know, in a lot in a lot of ways. So it's uh, what we're trying to do is. Uh, talk about the lessons that we learned, um, but just like any other year, this team has to take its own journey and ups and downs. Um, obviously, the preseason poll is based on what we did last year, but we know we're not the same team. So, so um, hopefully, um, you know, we'll stay in the process of getting better and be the best team we can be at the end and and that should take us to a pretty good place.
1: I lied. One more question related to the championship. How about a sign out at the stadium? Is that already done? Is that out there if we roll up be, Yeah. Okay.
4: There will be, uh, yeah, there'll be some banners and things up with that on there, and uh, there's a permanent sign going up uh, with some other accolades as well. So, yeah, one of the nice things is we've had a few facility upgrades uh, since winning the championship.
1: I remember last year you telling us that we talked to you after you won that championship. You also talked about the community support and how your family loves it there. They got to be pretty jacked up as well about the start of the season.
4: Yeah, we had a big fundraising event for our university, uh, big auction uh, Friday night, and a lot of the community are out. And, uh, you know, yeah, people are really, really excited about it. And uh, you know, uh, our women's basketball team also won a national championship last year, and so it was a good year for women's athletics on this campus. And it was good to showcase those females. Uh, you know, around our town and make sure that people know about them and will come out and support. And the community has really got into soccer, and, uh, you know, we're looking forward to a good turnout when we start playing.
1: All right. So you heard me say that the Division One women's soccer kicks off this week. The parody of Division One, incredible talent is uh, big time there as well. Women's soccer is is thriving. And, you know, I remember asking you last year about, you know, Division Two women's soccer, the caliber of play. But I'm going to ask you again because it seems like uh, it's outstanding competition and some outstanding players.
4: Uh, it's, uh, you know, and this is my 12th year, and every year, not just – nationally but even just regionally how much better uh, everybody seems to be getting and when you look at those recruiting classes uh, it's incredible and uh, really good coaches and you know last year I think I also said that things have to break right for us and I think you, that's true now for anybody at any level probably you've got to get the right breaks along the way you got to stay healthy because once you start losing a couple key kids you're probably not good enough to win it anymore so um, a lot of things have to go your way and I think the I think the, the time of one school or two schools going back-to-back and winning consistently is probably gone. I think there's so much parity now, and, and there will be different teams winning at different times.
1: Do you ever get the chance either in preseason or in the spring to actually see what your team looks like against a, a nearby Division One school coach?
4: Yeah, we'll play as many Division One schools that will play us in the spring. Uh, and, and that's getting harder and harder to see and get done. But uh, Missouri State plays us every year. And um, they're really, really, you know, uh, really good to see because they're just down the road and they've got a lot of good players and we recruit a lot of the same kids. So um, it's a, usually a really competitive game. I think they beat us one nothing in the spring this year. Um, and that, uh, you know, they were an NCAA tournament team that won the Missouri Valley Conference and lost in a shootout to Oklahoma State in the, in the NCAA tournament. So, uh, with a lot of players back, they return a lot, so we felt pretty good about that, and we had our chances to win it, but we didn't. And, um, and but we play them every year, and we've played KU or Kansas in the past, and Missouri in the past, but uh, haven't been able to get them on the schedule lately.
1: Now I feel pretty blessed to live here in the triangle in North Carolina and be the voice of the North Carolina courage, which after winning the International Champions Cup, I feel like you could say they're the best women's pro team in the world. And they did at the same time the USA was winning the Foreign Nations Cup Uh, at the Division two level. Does your team pay attention to the U.S. women's national team and maybe even the pro league at all? Are they looking at that?
4: Yeah, we do. You know, and uh, the uh, the women's national team was in Kansas City for part of that tournament. Yeah, and so most of our girls were at Sporting Park to to watch that. And so, we're a number of our community members, especially the young kids, uh, when out there. We, uh, Sporting Stadium was sold out for that. And um, yeah, our, our kids are fans, and uh, and not just fans of the women's national team and the pro teams. You know, obviously we had FCKC here for a while, and now they you know they've left to uh, go to Salt Lake, but. Uh, our, our kids all watch all levels of soccer they'll they'll watch the Premier League but just as importantly if we're on the road on the bus with our satellite TV we'll get on a, a, a Pac-12 game or a ACC game or a Big 12 game and, and watch that as well if we can because our kids are kind of soccer junkies at this point they just kind of like watching and they get to know those teams you know they and everyone kind of has their favorite styles, right? Like, uh, you know, I think we were watching Stanford pretty closely last year and enjoying watching them every time we could on their network. Yeah,
1: I've got uh, Stanford against Minnesota coming up uh, on Labor Day that Sunday as well on the Big Ten Network. You didn't mention the Big Ten Network, Coach. you got to be watching some of those teams too, right?
4: Well, you know what? I'm pretty good friends with uh, a couple of coaches in that league. And, um, yeah, I think, uh, sure, I should have mentioned the Big Ten. <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll get on me. But that's, uh, you know, there's a lot of good soccer are going on, and I think the more you'll as, as our players, the more they watch, the more they learn, and uh, um, we're pretty supportive of all those people, and uh, enjoy watching it.
1: Uh, you touched on it, it's purely speculative, but uh, the reigning champ starts out at number one preseason rankings, mean anything to your players?
4: Uh, they do to the players, and uh, you know, I think, to be fair, I think it would be really naive of us to think that's where we are right now, um, just with what we lost mm-hmm. but we have good players and uh, just got a lot of work to do to, to kind of put ourselves in a position to be successful but um, I think it's just you know I think there are no excuses at this level now and you know you gotta go play with whoever you got and we got good players and we expect to win and but our goal hasn't changed. It was the same last year, be the best that we can be at the end. And let's see where that takes us.
1: For people that haven't seen the Jenny's play, what's the best way to describe the kind of soccer you like to play coach?
4: You know, I think a lot of teams talk about possession based. I think that we play with possession, but we're always trying to go forward when we can. And, uh, so I think, uh, it's a fast rhythm, fast tempo. Um, I would like to press other teams when we don't have it, but, uh, I think if something defines us, it's that we do try to go forward. Uh, we don't miss an opportunity to go forward when we can and penetrate the other team. Um, I think it's fun to watch. It's uh, fast and exciting, uh, very attack-oriented. we we get a lot of numbers forward in the attack with the way we play and uh, try to you know try to finish teams off before uh, before too long in the game if we can. So. It's uh, pretty high risk, but uh, we enjoy playing that way.
1: As you get ready for your August 30th opener against Southwest Oklahoma State in Oklahoma, what's your message and goals for the team this year, Coach?
4: Yeah, as we get forward, you know, I think um, you know we have a couple of preseason games, but then going into that one, we our first four we played three teams that are in the NCAA tournament, and uh, so it's just kind of using those first two weekends to hopefully do as well as we can but i think we're going to get exposed in some areas and use that to develop but to, to be fair our, our our number one goal is to be the best we can be um, and that seems a really easy generic goal but that's what it is to stay you know firmly planted in the process and of getting better every day and then um you know ultimately uh you know we want to be back where we've been the last few years if we can and uh, continue to build.
1: Finally, you're right there in Kansas. Of course, United Soccer Coaches headquarters are in Kansas. Those folks are big fans of you, by the way, and your program. Talk about to how great it is to have United Soccer Coaches so close to you, and then also what that organization has meant to you, Lewis.
4: Yeah, you know, I think, uh, yeah, we've got to know those, you know, those people over there. We've worked with a couple. Uh, actually, there's one person from our university in there now, or two, and. Um, you know, I just think they're a great resource, and I think the number one reason that organization exists is to make coaches uh, better, and that go and impact all the players those coaches work with. And as long as you have the right uh, outlook as a coach and can utilize their resources, and realize there's still lots to learn, they're there to help promote you and your programs, and and all the coaches uh, in the country to get educated. and i think that's the ticket to i think not just college soccer but soccer in this country is is making all the coaches more aware of the best way to do things and expand our knowledge so that we can then take that to our teams and to our players and and i just found every time i go in that office or every time i talk to anybody from from the office they uh you know their number one priority is helping you and and uh it's a really a service-based organization which uh you know i know uh, when, I, when i was first starting out they they i couldn't have asked for a better group to be close to
1: Great interview. Great season last year. Wish you all the best as you start number one in Division Two women's soccer according to the United Soccer Coaches preseason rankings. Talking with the head coach of the Central Missouri Jennies women's soccer team, Lewis Theobald. Lewis, thanks for being with us, and we wish you the best of luck this season.
4: Yeah, I appreciate your time. Thank you.
1: We appreciate Lewis Theobald, and we appreciate all of our guests: Rob Kehoe, director of college programs for United Soccer Coaches, and Robbie Church the super successful head coach of the Duke women's soccer team who kick off their season tonight against the Ohio State Buckeyes. I also want to thank Mike Knipper with United Soccer Coaches, Sean Chevro, and the entire gang. I'm Dean Linky. We'll see you back here next week right here as part of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team
0: Snap. Still managing your club or league on paper and spreadsheets? Go paperless with Team Snap. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, they have way fewer paper cuts. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to teamsnap.com united.